Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. I spend hours every day prepping for the show, researching, reading, writing, just getting ready, trying to come up with entertaining topics, stuff that's not lame, stuff that's not cliche or annoying, trying to avoid topics that I don't think you care about. Like, notice what we haven't talked about this week. We haven't talked about Dak Prescott's contract. I don't really care. I don't think you really care that much. So a lot of work, a lot of work goes into the show. And today, you know what? It's Friday. We got no sports going on. The bars are open again. Why don't we just why don't we just kind of hang out? Let's relax. A little bit more casual today. I don't have any prepared argument, any prepared take. We're just going to talk about a couple different things. It's going to be fun. Let's wing it. To start, I want to rehash a conversation I had with Radio Joe earlier today. I hopped on the Bill Michael show at about 12:30. You can hear uh Radio Joe and of course Bill Michaels every day 11 to 2 here on WKTY, and I talked to him at about 12.30, and the topic was the five worst contracts, free agent signings in Wisconsin history. So think of the worst players that our teams have signed, the worst contracts, the most expensive contracts our teams have signed. That was the question. And it's kind of a fun conversation where there is no right or wrong answer. So I thought we'd start with that today. We're going to talk about the Packers. Mike Pettin spoke, as well as a couple other members of the staff today. And Mike Patton talked for about a half hour, and that's the press conference I want to focus on. Because Mike Patton didn't exactly end last season on a great note, right? Jimmy Grapple had to throw, what, eight, eight passes in the NFC Championship game to take down his defense and make the Super Bowl? Not a great look for Mike Patton to wrap up last season. So the questions that were posed to him, obviously, had a lot to do with that game. How are you going to beat the Niners? How are you going to shore up your run defense? Who on the defensive line are you excited about for this upcoming year? He answered and asked a lot of questions about that topic. So we'll talk about that coming up at 5.30. They're proposing a new NFL rule, uh, specifically regarding onside kicks. So we'll talk about that before the end of the show as well. But let's let's just kind of enjoy ourselves. Let's relax. Let's not take ourselves too seriously today. I want to get a, a little nostalgic coming up in a few minutes, and I'll explain more. But first, I want to I want to rehash this conversation I had today with Radio Joe because I think it's a really interesting one. A lot of shows are doing, like, once a week, they're doing a list. They're doing a top five, a top ten. I heard uh, Dave of the WKTY Morning Show, Dave Carney, this morning, doing his top ten NBA players. Uh, Radio Joe, they were doing a top five worst sports contracts in Wisconsin history today. Lists are fun. And I heard Dave kind of make the same point this morning. Lists are fun. Nobody is right or wrong. It makes for fun conversation and for a fun debate. So today, Radio Joe asked me, Top five worst Wisconsin sports contracts. Here's what I came up with. First of all, I, I kind of failed right off the bat because I could only really come up with four. I have four good ones, and I couldn't think of a fifth that was on the same level as these other four. But here, here were kind of my honorable mentions. There are so many examples of terrible contracts by the Milwaukee Bucks that it was almost too easy. The fruit almost hanged too low. Mirza Toledovich is a recent name that came to mind. John Henson is a name that came to mind. But all those players kind of fall within the same boat. So how am I supposed to how am I supposed to put one of those players in my top five worst contracts? So I, I didn't. The Packers have a couple. Jimmy Graham, most recently, is a pretty bad one. Uh, Cedric Benson, because he got injured right away, that was a signing that didn't really work out. 
Nick Perry was a signing that didn't work out. I still understood why they signed him at the time, but not a signing that worked out. I mean, the Packers didn't have any options. It was either sign Nick Perry or go without an outside linebacker. So they signed Nick Perry. It didn't work out. It was t- it was a terrible choice. I understand why they made the choice, but it didn't work out. So those were the couple Packers names that came to mind. And for the Brewers, I thought immediately of Jeff Supon. Eric Gagne was another another contract that I thought of when, when examining uh, the recent history of the Brewers for bad signings. I couldn't figure out which one of those names to put at five. I couldn't figure out if I should prioritize Nick Perry over Jeff Supon or Eric Gagne over John Hens. So I just said, screw it. We'll just do four. Well, we have four good ones. Number four, Martellus Bennett. I think this is one of the worst signings in recent memory for Wisconsin sports history. And it's not really the fault of general manager at the time, Ted Thompson. Because if Aaron Rodgers doesn't get hurt, this would have been in what, 2017? If Aaron Rodgers doesn't get hurt and he stays healthy and the season continues as planned, Martellus Bennett may have been a pretty good tight end for the Packers moving forward. It was when things went south when Bennett decided, you know what, I'm I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to say I'm injured. Maybe I'll go try to play with New England, and then well, I'll just retire. Fine. It was the way he did so, quitting on his team, throwing Green Bay's Dr. Uh, Dr. McKenzie under the bus, and then ultimately going to play for the Patriots. Not exactly a great look for Martellus Bennett, and not a signing that worked out for the Packers, although I don't necessarily blame Ted Thompson. He could not have foreseen Aaron Rodgers getting hurt and everything happened the way that it happened. The funny thing about Martellus Bennett is he is just another example of somebody they have tried to sign or draft to replace Jermichael Finley. Because ever since Finley was injured and his career ended, they've been trying, just grasping at straws ever since then, trying to find a guy to to target the middle of the field, trying to find a, a tight end that was a mismatch. And they've tried with Jimmy Graham, Jared Cook, Martellus Bennett. They drafted Richard Rodgers. They have now drafted Jay Sternberger. They drafted Justin Perillo. None of them have really worked out. And Martellus Bennett is just another another example of a failed replacement of uh, of Jermichael Finley. So I had Martellus Bennett, number four. The fourth worst signing in Wisconsin sports history. And th- these are all fairly recent. Sure, we could go back to the 70s. I don't know if anybody wants to do that. Number three, Gary Anderson. I think Gary Anderson counts as a bad sports signing. He's not a player. He was a coach. I- I'm trying to get creative a little bit. Think outside the box. What I told Radio Joe today is that Gary Anderson is the Matt Flynn of college football coaches. He's the Matt Flynn of college football coaches. Because outside of the state of Utah, Gary Anderson was a train wreck, just like Matt Flynn was a train wreck in Seattle, and then again in Oakland, and then he came back to Green Bay, and he was great again. Very similar to to the career arc of Gary Anderson. He starts as an assistant at Utah, then upgrades to Southern Utah, then goes back to Utah, then became the head coach at Utah State, That's when Wisconsin grabs him for two years. And then he leaves for Oregon State where they buy him out for $12 million. They pay him $12 million not to coach. That's how bad it went. And then Gary Anderson runs back to Utah first as an assistant. And then once again becomes the head coach at Utah State, replacing the guy who replaced him. Kind of full circle. Very similar to Matt Flynn. Matt Flynn was great in a Green Bay jersey, playing the role of backup. But once he tried to go elsewhere, it didn't really work. Same with Gary Anderson. And I give Wisconsin a ton of credit, and I give Barry Alvarez a ton of credit for quickly moving on from Gary Anderson and hiring a superb replacement in Paul Christ. Right now, I've made my feelings very clear on this. I think Craig Council is the best coach of any of our teams in the state. I think Paul Christ is an easy number two. I think 
either guard or Budenholzer follows him. And then I think Matt LaFleur comes in last. That doesn't mean I think Matt LaFleur is a bad coach, but he's he's got a lot to learn. He's got a lot of growing to do. And we haven't really seen him prove much other than having a great first season and winning a couple of games in the, in the playoffs as well. Well, I guess only one. The bye week will count as a win. But winning 14 games in his first year and making the NFC Championship game, not bad, but nothing that Mike Budenholzer hasn't done. I think Craig Council has proven more. And I think Paul Christ and Greg Gard, especially for their respective programs, are much, much better. So I give Wisconsin a lot of credit for moving off of that bad signing of, of Gary Anderson. That was my number three. Number two is Matthew Delvadova. Matthew Delvadova. The Bucks signed him for four years, $38 million, And it happened in this little bubble where the salary cap just exploded in the NBA. So guys like Otto Porter were making ridiculous money. And Timofey Mozgov made a pile. And at the time... Matthew Delvadova was just coming off of that finals appearance with, with LeBron, and the Bucks were like, he's going to be our guy, which was an absurd idea. He was never going to be the guy. Delhi isn't even in the league right now. I don't understand what the Bucks were thinking. I don't understand what John Hammond was thinking at the time because nobody in their right mind in NBA fandom or in sports fandom thought that signing would work out well. Like, they hadn't even put pen to paper with Delvadova's contract yet, and I'm already thinking... How are they going to get out from this one? How are they going to unload this bad contract before they signed it? That's how bad of a deal that was. And everybody knew it. Everybody. And they did it anyways. Because at that time, the Milwaukee Bucks, well, they were kind of a meme. They were the Bucks. And of course, Bucks going to buck. They're going to sign Delvadova for, geez, $38 million. He'd never averaged more than 10 points in a game. And they're giving him $40 million bucks. Everybody knew that was a bad idea. Matthew Delvadova, second worst free agent signing in at least recent Wisconsin sports history. Now, my number one, this one was easy. And Brewers fans, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The worst free agent signing in recent Wisconsin sports history, Matt Garza. And you know what? It's not really close. Put your hands together. Yeah, absolutely. Let's give a hand for Matt Garza. He takes the cake easily on this one. Now, I know Jeff Supon's contract was just as bad. Like, like Jeff Supon's contract was bad as well. But Garza took things to another level. They signed him for... What amounted to five years, $67 million, including bonuses and incentives and other things like that. Five years, $67 million, which at the time was the biggest free agent signing to date, surpassing our friend Jeff Supon. And then he got hurt, and he didn't really jive with the rebuild and the direction of the team, and it became a toxic figure in the Brewers locker room and in the clubhouse. So it wasn't just the money that made Garza a bad signing, it was the relationship between Garza and the Brewers and the way that it soured down the stretch when the Brewers were trying to rebuild the culture and rebuild the team and go in a different direction and Garza was not about it. This is the worst signing in Wisconsin sports history for financial reasons, but also because it left a lasting impact on the team and on the fans. And I'm guilty of this. Anytime the Brewers are rumored to be in the works for signing a veteran pitcher, bringing in a a pitcher, what do we always say? What do we always say? Well, it better not be another Matt Garza situation, right? We better not, the Brewers better not be signing another Matt Garza. We still think about it to this day. It's 2020. They signed Matt Garza in 2013. And since then, have made the postseason a couple of times. They have a new superstar in Christian Yelich. Craig Council has taken over and he's done a great job. But we still refer back to Garza as almost the gold standard of a bad sports signing. He was way too expensive. He was bad in the locker room. He got injured. Everything went wrong. And to this day, I think this signing, the Garza signing, leaves a lasting impact on the Brewers. They don't really like to sign veteran pitchers. 
Sonny Gray, they didn't want. Dallas Keuchel, no thank you. Jake Arrieta, nuh-uh. And you can even throw Craig Kimbrell into that group as well, even though he's a reliever, not a starter. The Brewers have shied away from pitchers like that, even when they need pitchers. It's not through lack of a need. The Brewers needed a bullpen arm last year. They, nuh-uh, didn't want Kimbrell. They needed starters this year and last. They didn't want Sonny Gray or Dallas Keuchel or Jake Arrieta. Didn't want them. I'm not saying it's Matt Garza's fault, but we learn from history, right? We refer back to history. They also don't sign deals that are longer than one year because this Garza signing went sour a year or two in. It didn't happen right away. Well, if by the Brewers' logic, by what I can estimate, if you only sign a guy for one year, then it can't go south after a year or two years because he's only there for one. I think the Brewers remember this signing, the Matt Garza signing as a cautionary tale, and I do think it impacts their decision-making specifically around high-priced, aging veteran pitchers. I know fans fans remember it for sure. I can't imagine the team ignores that as well. That's Matt Garza, the number one worst signing in recent Wisconsin sports memory. So that's my top five. While researching for this, I came across so many old names, some good, some bad, right? A little mix of both. And it's actually one of my favorite drinking games to do with my friends where you just see how many obsolete or forgotten athletes you can name and remember. So I kind of want to do that coming up next. It's Friday. Let's enjoy ourselves. We're kicking back a little bit. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. I want you to give me a call or a text with your favorite player. It could be a Packer, a Brewer, a Badger, a Buck. Favorite player or players that we've completely forgotten about but we remember fondly or we have a funny memory attached to them. It's We're kind of doing an on-air drinking game. So give me a call or a text. 608-796-2558 on the five-star telecom talking text line. We're going to reminisce. Coming up next, this is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant. I'm your host. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for being here. Happy Friday. Looks like it's going to be a really bummy weekend, which is a bummer. I mean, last week was awesome. Last weekend was beautiful, so I guess we were due for a bad one. Don't forget, you can check out this show and Dave Carney, his morning show here on WKTY as well. Check them both out in podcast form, WKTYsports.com, and on our mobile app, I'll post the podcast for this show right after 6 o'clock, of course, because I got I to finish it first. We're, we're reminiscing. We're almost playing... Uh, an on-the-air drinking game. It's one of my favorite things to do when you're having a cold beer with your friends, playing beanbags, you're sitting on the porch, or you're sitting in the yard. It's a great time of year for it. Just sit around. This is one of my favorite things to do. Sit around and just go around in a circle. Pick a team. Like, all right, we're going to do Packers. We're going to do Brewers. We're going to do Bucks. Pick a team and just see how many old, forgotten names you can mention. Right, It's a blast. And it's actually, I think it's good for your brain. The drinking part probably isn't good for your brain, but it's good to just see what you can remember. Right, It's like playing a memory game. Like playing a memory game. So I want you to let me know, who are your favorite forgotten players? We're not talking about Hall of Famers. We're talking about the guys who are like, oh yeah, I remember him. All right, yeah, I remember that, barely. Right, 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talking text line. You can give me a call or you can just shoot me a text. I see we have a couple of texts already. I'll get to those at the end. Uh, I'll read them all at once. I see some ones that I love already. Today, when I was researching for bad Wisconsin sports contracts, which we talked about last segment, if you missed it, some of the worst signings in the history of our state, I, I really got back into the Jeff Supon era. I don't know why. I was looking at the Jeff Supon contract 
which led itself to the Matt Garza contract. So I was looking at some old Brewer teams, and there were some bad Brewer teams in between 2008 and 2011, just like there were some bad Brewer teams between 2011 and 2018. And that's kind of the natural ebb and flow of a, of a small market baseball team. There's an up and a down, there's a rebuilding, and there's a tearing down. So it makes sense. I was looking at the 2010 Milwaukee Brewers. Oh my God, there are some good names on here. There's some really good names. This starting rotation, this team was not good. This is not a good team. They were a couple years away from making the, well, they were a year away from making the postseason. I don't know why. Maybe it was the, the point in my life, how old I was or whatever, where it stuck with me. This might be my favorite starting rotation the Brewers have ever had. By no means the best. By no means the best. It's actually that they weren't very good. I don't know what it was, but I remember it very fondly. The starting rotation of Giovanni Gallardo, Jeff Supan, Randy Wolf, Manny Parra, and my personal favorite, Dave Bush, rounding it out at the bottom of a five-man rotation. You name me a better, a more classic, iconic five-man starting rotation, I, I don't know if it's possible. That is that is art. Gallardo, Supan, Wolf, Manny Parra, Dave Bush, 2010. I mean, come on. I, am I the only one that just reads that and I can just close my eyes and remember those games? That God, that was a hell of a starting rotation. Gallardo, Supan, Wolf, Para, Bush. And if you look at some of the other, you, the, uh, some of the other players on this roster, I mean, there are just some classic names on here. Zach Braddock, remember him? John Axford, of course, Chris Capuano. Todd Coffey, one of my favorite all-time brewers. Todd Coffey. Latroy Hawkins. Cameron Lowe, the sinker baller. I remember him. Mike McClendon, Chris Narvison. God, there's Mitch Stetter, another one of my favorites. You pull Mitch Stetter and that name, the sidearm left, you pull that name out at a bar, you'll impress some people. You're not going to impress any women, believe me, but you'll, imp- you'll, impress, you'll impress the other greasy dudes that are also there uh, and, and very, very single. 608-796-2558. Let's go to the five-star telecom talking text line. We're talking our favorite uh, kind of forgotten athletes from any of our teams. Doesn't have to just be the Brewers. Call, uh, caller, happy Friday. Welcome to the Wisco Sports Show. Who you got? Hey, I got two. Uh, pa- uh, one's a Packer, one's a Brewer. Okay. I got Dave Roller. <laughs> Remember Dave Roller? Yes, the sir. big offensive line or defensive lineman back in early to late 70s. Mm-hmm. And then Sixto Liscano for the Brewers. Siscano, or one more time? Sixto Lascano. Okay, and what, you got a year on that? That's before my time, but I know the name. Yeah, Sixto Lascano was probably about the same time, 78, 79, somewhere around there. Those are some awesome. See, isn't this fun? Like, I could, yeah. and that's why I'm excited the bars are opening, but this is one of my favorite drinking activities. I appreciate the call, Lascano. And you know what? The, the Packers could use some defensive line help. They could bring back a guy like that. I like that idea a lot. See, I go to 2010 for my nostalgia. I'm glad we have some listeners that can go back a little bit farther. Lascano, that is a name I know. Because I, look, I grew up and and my parents would talk about and my, and my aunts and uncles, my older family members and friends would talk about the 80s Brewers. I think we really have a, 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 a special place in our heart in this state for those Brewer teams in the early 80s, and then by extension, the mid-80s and the, and the late 70s as well. Just kind of that time period. We have a, a, a reverence for, even though that team never won a World Series, like we have a reverence for the Lombardi Packers too, but we have a reverence for those Brewer teams, even though they they never won a championship. They made it, which is a lot more than, you know, Brewer teams in my lifetime have been able to say. But I think we definitely have a reverence, and a name like Lascano is is 
definitely falls into that group. I appreciate the call. Thanks. Hope you're hope you're doing well. 608-796-2558. Five-star telecom talking tax line. It's really fun to look at old brewer names. George Kataris was that same year, 2010. That's when Craig Council was still on the team. Alcides Escobar. That's I mean, that's a fun one. That's a little bit more memorable, a little less obsolete. This was the Jim Edmonds year, 2010. Joe Inglet. God, what a beast. I The 2010, that might be one of my favorite Brewer teams ever. Not a very good team, but that's not what's important. We're talking obsolete, forgotten about players. Let's go again to the five-star telecom talking text line. Caller, I'm sorry I don't have your name, uh, but I appreciate you calling in. Who do you got today? I was curious about the bad contracts. Yeah. The name that sticks in my head I can't get rid of is Tony Mandarich. Really? You didn't mention him, but man, that was a horrible contract. What, do you, what what specifically do you remember about Tony Mandarich? Do you have a specific game or something that sticks in your mind? Uh, being on a cover SI and everybody thinking he was going to be the next biggest thing to ever hit football, and he just was a complete dud. The cover of SI. <laughs> that's right. And I'm looking at it now. I had to pull it up. He's got a shirt off. And he was, if I'm remembering correctly, he what draft was this that he was taken in? You'll have to help I, me out a little I bit. I can't remember. I just have that stinking name stuck in my head forever, I think. He was drafted. Okay, so it was the 89 draft. And, I, and I'm going to have to look it up over the break because I know he was taken high and there were some really good players taken on both sides of him. Can you imagine drafting an O-lineman and have him getting put on the cover of Sports Illustrated and then, yeah, didn't turn out to be good? <laughs> I appreciate the call. Thank you. See, this is fun. This is re- Remembering random players is really fun. We're going to take a break. I'm going to... I'm going to go read up on Tony Mandrich because I'm missing a couple pieces of the puzzle. I want to know who was taken before and after because that's that's the painful part, right? When you have a draft bust, then going and looking at the surrounding draft and looking at the names taken before and after. So we're going to continue this conversation. We'll talk Tony Mandrich and, and, and whoever else comes up, whoever else we can remember. This is the Wisco Sports Show. Back in a moment here on WKTY. <laughs> Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Happy Friday. Congrats on making it to the weekend. Although, the way we're living our life right now, I I guess I don't know if it really matters. The bars are open. It's Friday. I'm in a great mood. And we're almost, we're kind of doing a drinking game, except on the radio. We're getting nostalgic. We're talking about players that we've forgotten about or players that we remember fondly. One of my favorite things to do when I'm hanging out with friends and we're killing time or we're shooting the breeze is just trying to one-up each other on who can name the more obsolete random player. And we got a couple of calls and texts, and these are all awesome. I was reading just a little bit about Sixto Lascano, and yes, I, I had him placed in the right era, and these are players, and, and I and I got to apologize a little bit before my time, but Lescano was a part of those early 80s teams. That's why I did know the name. Fun fact, the only, and I bet some of you know this, the only player in Major League Baseball history to hit a grand slam on opening day twice. He did it in 78 and 1980. And and all over our listening area, there are people either driving or listening and they're nodding their head. You're like, yep, absolutely. I was, I knew that. I was ready for that. <laughs> if that was a question at trivia, I bet 90% of our listeners right now would have got that. Six Del Liscano. The other one was Tony Mandrich. And you'll have to excuse me because I know who Tony Mandrich is and I was familiar with the draft. I just had to jog my memory a little bit. The 19, is it 98 or 88 draft? The, the, the 89 draft, yes. And what's hilarious, and I remembered instantly, I had a couple texters uh, text in right away and said, yeah, that was the draft we could have had Barry Sanders. Well, it wasn't just Barry Sanders. This is how the, t- God, 
this is this is really funny. Now looking back, it's really funny. At the time, this is really tough for the Packers. So this is a top five of the 89 draft. It went Troy Aikman, Hall of Famer, then Tony Mandrich, then Barry Sanders, Hall of Famer, Derek Thomas, Hall of Famer, Deion Sanders, Hall of Famer. So the top five, there were four Hall of Famers, and the Packers took the one that didn't turn out to be an all-time great. Tony Mandrich. Ended up on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That's that's hilarious. That is fantastic. Now that we can look back at it with the, with the advantage of time. So I appreciate the caller uh, bringing that. That's a great example. Tony Mandrich. And Nate texting in and letting me know, yeah, that was the Barry Sanders draft. Uh, we got a text from Jonathan who, who wants to talk about Robert Tractor Trailer. Yeah, rest in peace to Robert Trailer, the former buck. And along those same lines, Marty texts in and says, uh, mine is Glenn Robinson, the big dog. Marty, I actually have a Glenn Robinson jersey that I found at Goodwill in Hudson, Wisconsin. This is like three years ago. The old purple and green. I'll have to wear I'll have to wear it to work someday. Glenn Robinson, I agree. Uh, he also says, we had Leroy Butler at the time, so I thought about was running back, but they said he was too small. So yeah, I mean, Marty's thinking back at wanting Barry Sanders, possibly Deion Sanders. I mean, there were four other Hall of Famers who were taken in the top five, and the Packers took the one that turned out to be a bust. Uh, and they did have Leroy Butler at the time, like you said, Marty, yes. And they went with the tackle, who ended up on the cover of SI and never really amounted to anything. So we're just, we're shooting the breeze, and I appreciate your uh, your interaction, your texting calls. I- I'm having a lot of fun. And, and and as I said to start the show, it's Friday. The bars are open. It, there's just a certain vibe right now where we shouldn't be taking ourselves too seriously. We're looking at some old Brewer names. I looked at 2010, the 2011 Brewers roster, which for some of you isn't that long ago. For me, you know, that's that's almost half my life. That's half my life ago. Guys like Zach Braddock, who I mentioned, Mark DeFelice is just a, is a classic name in this instance. Tim Dillard, who is, who I, I love Tim Dillard. Marco Estrada, Mike Fires, both went on to, th- didn't both Estrada and Fires go on to throw no hitters? I know Mike Fires did, but didn't Estrada throw in in Toronto as well? Something about former Brewers pitchers just going on to do crazy things elsewhere. Latroy Hawkins, who we talked about. Mike McClendon. I really like Todd Coffey. That's one of my favorite players to remember. Randy Wolf and his 59-mile-an-hour curveball. Another great example. Mark Kotze. I know he came up. That was maybe if Renicky could go back and do anything differently in 2011, starting Mark Kotze in center field uh, against the Cardinals is probably one he'd like to have back. That's for sure. Mark Kotze. What a meme. <laughs> Mark Kotze. I get a text that says, remember Corey Hart? Oh, absolutely. That's... That era of Brewers is such a good vintage when you had Ricky Weeks, Corey Hart, J.J. Hardy. And then, of course, you can you can factor in guys like Casey McGee. I, I mean, there's just some iconic players. I know those teams weren't as good. Like, the, the Brewers that we have now are more competitive. I think they're more athletic. They're better managed by Craig Council, and I think David Stearns does a better job than Doug Melvin. But to act like Corey Hart and Ricky Weeks weren't a joy to watch, I, I mean, I just think we'd be lying to ourselves. Two no hitters for for Mike Fires and I Marco Estrada yes or Mark who had and once again I'm gonna have to research this over the break because we're coming on to questions and things I don't remember but Marco Estrada and Mike Fires both going on to do like weirdly excellent things on other teams like guys who were decent pitchers at best for the Brewers going on to pitch no hitters elsewhere which always cracks me up I like looking at old Packers rosters too I was looking at the Super Bowl year and it's mostly like the offensive linemen and some defensive players that I've forgotten about. We all remember the wide receiving core. Those are those are names 
that we remember because those are teams that we talk about. We we talk about the the classic wide receiving core of 2010 and 2011 with Driver and Jennings and Nelson. We don't forget about those players. I forgot about the fullback Corey Hall. That's an awesome name to pull out of, to pull out of your hat next time you need to impress someone. Uh, certain, uh, I mean, Darren College. I mean, Chad Clifton was, I remember Chad Clifton for jumping off sides, but he was a great tackle for a long time. Uh, Scott Wells, the center who went on to play with the Rams afterwards. That's a great, I remember the defensive lineman Howard Green as I'm going up and down the roster. I remember Howard Green because wasn't he the guy who brought his arm across and nailed Big Ben and, and then he threw the pop fly that Nick Collins caught and returned for six and then went on his, onto his knees in the end zone like that. That was an iconic play. Howard Green was on the front half of that the nose tackle coming down and 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 giving Big Ben a bop uh, to impact that pass. Desmond Bishop, I really like Desmond Bishop. I enjoyed watching him play. He had an edge to him. Frank Zombo, who went on, I think went on to play with the Chiefs. He was a rookie in 2010. Frank Zombo is a name I remember. Eric Walden, who I think went on to play with the Colts as well. Jarrett Bush, when the Packers just had guys for special teams, essentially. And I don't know if Jarrett Bush played corner as well, but Jarrett Bush and, and uh, Chris Banjo, Back when they had special teamers, they don't really anymore. Atari Bigby, the safety, that's a God, that's a classic Packer. Charlie Pepro, who played well down the stretch. Brandon Underwood, the corner. I remember that name as well. Forgot about him for a little bit. There's some good names on these teams. I also went back and I looked at uh, some old Badgers rosters. The Russell Wilson year. There's some awesome names, some classic names. And I almost, when I read them, I almost hear these names in Matt LePay's voice. Kenzel Doe, Nick Toon, Jared Abraderis, who we remember a lot better because he was a great wide receiver. At the time, he was just a sophomore. He was a redshirt sophomore in, in Russell Wilson's year, but of course went on to play with the Packers too, so he sticks in our mind a little bit more. Jeff Duckworth. I mean, these, I, and once again, I hear these names in the voice of Matt LaPlay. Matt LaPay. In 2011, they had some fantastic offensive linemen that went on. Rick Wagner, for example, who now is playing for the Packers, was a junior at the time. Travis Frederick was a sophomore on that team who had an incredible career for the Dallas Cowboys. Kevin Zeitler, who I think played in Cincinnati. Is he still in Cincinnati? He plays for the Giants now, but he started in Cincinnati. Yep. Travis Frederick. Rob Havenstein, who's with the Rams. Ryan Groy. Your Groy, who played in Buffalo right there. Think of that. There's four or five NFL caliber offensive linemen. On that team, not just players who were drafted, but went on to have really good careers. Some of them still playing, right? The tight ends, Jacob Pedersen, Sam Arneson, that's a name I remember. God, it's fun to go back and look at old rosters. I can't be the only one that likes to do this. If I am the only one who likes to do this, then that means I have absolutely nobody listening right now. (laughs) 608-796-2558. We do got to take a break because I want to hear from Mike Pettin and some things he had to say about, well taking a step in the right direction after getting killed by San Fran in the biggest game of the year last year. He answered a lot of questions about that. Uh, one last chance here. We have, oh, Chmur, the tight end for Favre. That's a good one. Bubba Franks is along those same lines, Marty. See, Marty's enjoying this. Tom texts in and says, Nori Aoki. Norichka Aoki was this ilk of player. The Brewers had a couple of years where they had a really good, um, they had a really good run of pinch hitters. Joe Inglet was the same way. Norichka Aoki was that way. And then, a couple of years ago, Domingo Santana kind of fit himself into that mold as well. It's funny how how things are circular in that way. But I do I, I do got to take a break because I want to leave our, ourselves some time to talk uh, about Mike Patton and hear what he had to say about improving the defense and taking another step in 2020. 
after they they really didn't draft players to address their needs. They really didn't take an inside linebacker. I know they took one from, they took Kamal Martin, but they didn't address defensive line. They didn't address wide receiver. They really didn't address what we perceive to be their biggest needs. So Mike Patton answered questions about that today. We'll hear from that and, and share our thoughts on that as we wrap up the Wisco Sports Show for the week. Coming up next here on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I'm going to listen to a lot of Jimmy Buffett this weekend. I don't care if it's rainy and stormy. I'll sit inside. I'll drink beer and I'll listen to Jimmy Buffett. Damn it. If I can't sit out in the sun and listen to Jimmy Buffett, fine. I'll take the sunshine and the good vibes inside. As long as the Buffett is playing. We're talking Packers. Well, today's show has just been kind of a fun mess. We spent a lot of time reminiscing, bringing up names of former Wisconsin sports teams that we that we kind of forgot. Tony Mandrich was brought in by a texter. Nori Aoki for the Brewers. Uh, Sexto Lescano, which is an awesome name from, once again, those Brewer teams that have a very soft spot in our heart from the late 70s and the early 80s. A lot of fun names. So if you missed out on that and that's a fun conversation you want to check out, check out the podcast after 6 o'clock, WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app. On a more serious note, Packers had media availability today. Mike Pettin and company, Nathaniel Hackett, I saw, also spoke. I don't think Matt LaFleur spoke. I think it was just everybody else. And naturally, Mike Pettin was asked about last season's biggest weakness. And, and last year, I think we were very clear. Wide receivers and run defense. Those are two things they have to step up moving forward. We expected them to address those needs in the draft and maybe in free agency. And they, I guess they kind of did with Funches and Kirksey, but not to the level that we hoped especially without drafting players from for, to, to really deal with either need. Packers got lucky a few times last year when opponents just kind of chose not to run. Week one against Chicago, between Davis and Montgomery, the Bears' two lead backs, they only carried the football 11 times. Week one, when the Packers won 10-3 uh, to on Thursday Night Football to start the season, Chicago ran the ball 11 times. Mr. Trubisky threw the ball 45 times. Packers were probably a little lucky there that the Bears really didn't try to run the the football a little bit more. Minnesota in week two, remember, the Vikings were driving to take the lead. And Vikings fans, you're going to be pulling your hair out and you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. They were driving to take the lead left to right. I can see it right now. And between Madison and Dalvin Cook, the Packers could do nothing. The defense is worn down and gassed and they were getting five, six plus yards of carry. And then Kirk Cousins decided to just throw up a prayer, one that Kevin King... To his credit, went up and got over Stephon Diggs, and that flipped possessions and allowed the Packers to win. Now, the Packers did enough to win both of those games, but maybe got a little lucky that their opposition, both divisional foes, the Bears and and the Vikings, didn't do a little bit more to try to exploit one of the Packers' biggest weaknesses. Patton was asked directly about this today. What the hell happened in San Francisco? Why could you not stop the run? And have you had discussions about that? What are you planning moving forward? Yeah, it was... uh... Be, I mean, I, I can't use any other phrase other than beyond disappointing. I mean, it's it's uh, it's tough to realize that we played our worst game at the at the worst time, but at the, at, at the same at the same point, uh, we own it. We're, we're not running away from it. I mean, we went through it in detail with the with the staff. We've talked to the players about it, uh, and there's there's no excuses being offered. I mean, we just weren't good enough in in every aspect, whether it was scheme, effort, energy, technique. Uh, and the key thing is is to learn from it so that it doesn't happen again. Uh, and, and I give them credit, I mean, for what they've built there and for what they were able to do. I mean, they've proven themselves to be 
uh, the the elite of the uh, of the conference. And and to beat them, I mean, we got to be on point with everything I just mentioned: scheme, effort, energy, technique. So um, no, it was it was a, a tough pill to swallow. I mean, you're always remembered by your last performance. Uh, and and I, I hate for it to, to tarnish what uh, what we're able to accomplish during the year, winning 14 games. I mean, we're we're not going to let it do that and, and be this dark cloud hanging over us. But at the same time, uh, it's something that, that that we need. We're not going to sweep under the carpet. That we need to address it, uh, and we'll do it again when the when the players are in town and we're and, and it's face to face. But uh, it's it's certainly been a focal point. Uh, we're not we're not dwelling on. It, but it's something that that we we know that if we want to take the next step, we were a game away. But if we but we and that's a big step, and they, they present a big hurdle. And if we want to take it, that um, there's a lot we have to get done between now and then. First of all, the idea that Mike Patton says, "Well, I don't want it to tarnish what we did last year." Well, okay, it is going to tarnish the Packers last year. However, you had some great defensive performances, and Week One against the Bears was a blast when you held Chicago to three points. But when people ask about the 2019-2020 Packers. They'll say, wow, that was LaFleur's first year. Aaron Rodgers and him were figuring things out, but they managed to win 13 games. They won a lot of games ugly. They were great situationally and in one-score games. They won 13 games, and they got back to Lambeau Field in the playoffs, and they got a win, but ultimately they got shredded by San Francisco twice. The run defense just wasn't good enough. That's the legacy of last year's Packers. So to say, well, I don't want it, I don't want it to tarnish what we did. Well, that's kind of how life works, man. I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you, Mike. I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. By not drafting a defensive lineman or an inside linebacker, really other than Kamal Martin from Minnesota, which I don't think is going to be enough, the Packers are betting on their guys. This is a classic David Stearns, Milwaukee Brewers move. To not add anyone, to not make any changes, and to basically say, hey, we believe in our guys. We have confidence in our guys. And it's worked out really well for the Brewers. David Stearns has kind of hung himself out there to dry and come out on the other side looking really good because he's like, see, I told you Alicia Seen was going to be good and Wade Miley was going to be good. Right? Like, he knew. He bet on himself, and he walked away looking like a total genius. It's a classic Brewers move. I'm not sure it's going to work out the same for the Green Bay Packers. Talking about their weaknesses, wide receiver or defensive line, neither of which they addressed in the draft. Let's focus on defense, seeing we're talking about Mike Pettin and, and we're checking out his press conference. Let's focus on the D. Let's ignore the wide receivers. Although the principle still applies, they must like their wide receivers they have now. They're betting on themselves. They're betting on their guys. But let's focus on the defense. Really what Mike Pettin is saying, without saying it, he's betting on Kingsley Kiki and he's betting on Rashawn Gary and Christian Kirksey really being contributors expecting Kingsley Kiki to take a step and Rashawn Gary to take a step. In fact, and look, Mike Clemens is is an interesting dude. He sounds a little bit dorky and he's on the Bill Michaels show and he loves to extensively talk about players' history and bring up interesting facts. But he asked, I thought, the best question in the press conference today. He said, look, last year, Tyler Lancaster made a jump and he looked great. What about this year? Who are you expecting to take a big jump and who are you thrilled to see in 2020. You can't wait to see. And his answer was Kingsley Kiki. And he talked about Kiki for a couple of minutes. Had a long way to go. It was a very raw. I mean, we saw the talent, um, you know, coming out of Texas A&M, but he was just very raw. Uh, had a little bit, had a pretty good knack as a pass rusher. Had some natural ability there, but just as far as his run technique, pad level, and playing with his hands, and and having a good understanding of what, you know, all the information that we gather pre-snap. Uh, what is the format? What's the down and distance? What personnel grouping are they in? 
what's the formation telling us? Is, is it a fullback? Is he tilted one way? Is the tight end off the ball? What are the lines? All, the, all those little details that takes guys sometimes a while to, to, to pick up, not only to, to learn, but then also to be able to apply it. Uh, and and he, was, he was a guy that, that as the year went on, uh, and he got his opportunities in there. He was he was a uh, productive force, and that's that's somebody that we're we're, we're looking forward to um, you know to having a having a much more increased role. Uh, you know, I don't think it was any secret. I mean, we've talked about it that that felt like Kenny Kenny played too many plays, uh, and that we wanted Tyler. I mean, Tyler's more of a true backup nose, and we wanted to get Dean off the field some too. So so developing some depth in that room. Uh, and that means Kiki's going to have to step up. Montrevious is going to have to step up. Uh, we are excited about the the, um, the two guys that we brought in uh, as as free agents. Trayvon uh, Hester and and, um, and Gerald Willis are guys that both have have done some good things on tape. That, that um, you know, it's a shame that we haven't had them here in the spring to <clears throat> to see it in person. But uh, we're looking forward to getting getting those guys um, here in camp. So a very comprehensive explanation of Kingsley Kiki and why the Packers are high on Kiki. And I've heard that. I've read that. And I think most Packer fans have too. There is this confidence in the organization that Kingsley Kiki is going to be a big part of improving their run defense this year. It's not that I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I, I would just like to see it. I'm not going to get all bent out of shape until we have some preseason games or some games where I can actually see Kiki on the field because he didn't exactly play a whole lot last year. That's the defensive line. I, I think with the guys they brought in and Kenny Clark hopefully taking another jump and Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster hopefully getting better and Kingsley Kiki taking a jump, I hope that unit will be improved. I can't say the same for the linebacking core, at least the inside linebacking core, because I think Blake Martinez is fine. I think the same of Christian Kirksey. I think they're both fine. I don't know if they had a huge upgrade. Last year, a very telling statistic. The Packers spent almost a majority of their time in dime coverage meaning there's six defensive backs between safeties and corners. The Packers spent 520 snaps in dime personnel, most in the NFL. The next closest are the Rams at 461. Now, to me, and to anybody who's got a football mind, so 99% of the people listening to the show, would take that statistic and think, okay, they really like their corners, they don't really like their linebackers, and they're using dime coverage as a way to get their 11 best players on the field. So six defensive backs, they play a 3-4, so they have an odd man front with three linemen. That's nine players between D-line and the defensive backfield. That only leads two spots, two spots to round it out to 11 for inside linebackers. I don't know if Christian Kirk, did they they improve the inside linebacking core enough to really change up gears and to start putting more linebackers on the field this year? No, I think they're going to play a lot of dime. They might play more dime. They really like Chandon Sullivan. We might see the Packers with five, six defensive backs on the field routinely because I don't think they really augmented or added to their linebacking core at all. Something we'll continue to monitor. Should be an interesting offseason, and I cannot wait for football. Enjoy your weekend, your extra long weekend. I'll be back on Tuesday, same time, same place. Talk to you then.